0: We're starting a series on the Book of Esther. A lot of people have been asking me, "Why on earth are we doing that?" Uh, it was actually my daughter's idea, not to not to uh, blast her in front of everybody. But I had a plan for the preaching content after Easter, and I was sharing it with my family. And Reese was like, "Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? This is one of my favorite books of the Bible," and she was explaining why she thought it'd be valuable. And I said, "You know what, babe? That really is a great idea." And one of the reasons why is when we look at the Book of Esther, what we find is a, a scenario where the people of God have to figure out what does it look like to live in a world where evil abounds. And so we, as believers, now I think we need to keep looking in that direction and considering what does it look like to live in a in a culture and in a world where um, Christianity is not you know it's not the dominant thing, where where maybe uh, we don't have the home court advantage anymore. And, and what, if, what if there's more and more open hostility to Christianity? So, so what, what does that look like? And I think Esther and other books give us some clues on how to do that. And, and honestly, it's pretty surprising the way that Esther behaves herself in that scenario. I mean, I don't know that I would prescribe a lot of the things that she does there, but, but we need to be thinking through. Our answer has to be better than often the things that I'm hearing. And so we need to look at books like this to help us out. Well, I'm going to pray and then we'll get right into it. Let's pray. Lord, we pray right now as we open your word that you by your spirit would speak to us. We pray, Lord, that you would use this time to help us know you better and help us know what you're up to in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we find a party, a problem, and then we can consider the point of it all, but the party comes right away in the early verses of chapter one. Now, Esther's not even in this chapter, but we're introduced to another key player here in verse one. It says, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. This is, this is what was going on in the time of the Persian empire. The king Xerxes is the ruler of the, the then known world. He rules the whole gig, like from as far as you can imagine in one direction to as far as you can imagine in the other direction. This dude rules it all. He is in charge. This is the king and his title, his official title, I can't pronounce it, but what it means is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So when people would say the king and here's his official title, this is the capacity in which he serves, people would hear that and go, okay, this is the Lord of Lords. This is the King of Kings. This guy rules the world. And, and we find out about the vast amount of wealth and resources that he has because he throws this killer party. Look at verses 2 and 3. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. They had two different palaces, a summer palace, a winter palace. So he's ruling from Susa, and in the third year of his reign, he, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. So he's throwing this killer party and everyone is showing up and it's primarily filled with these nobles, these prominent people and military leaders. So that means this is a time of incredible peace. He, he's leading his nation in a way that has resulted in peace. So all these dudes can come together. We can have a meeting. We don't even worry about a problem arising while we're gathered together. That's the way in which he's leading. We're meant to be Impressed by this. He the, the author is telling us about this king and the vast majority of his wealth. Look at verse 4. In fact, it goes it says it like this: For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. This dude threw a party for half a year. My birthday was a couple weeks ago. There was a work we were working here at the building, so we were just here all day, and then I went home, I was smoked and uh, we just had cake. You know, my, my parents came over, had cake with my family, and my parents, and and then you know it wasn't a big deal. And then the next week they wanted to get together to actually celebrate, so we had a party with more cake and all of that. And I just felt like, man, we are really dragging this thing out, right? Like I'm getting a full week here uh, of attention. And, and some of you are like, that's right, that is how a birthday ought to be. You don't just get a day, you get a week. Some of you are like, no, it's a month. It's my birthday month. But this dude says. I'm going to throw a party, and it's going to be a half a year. Like, that's how, that's how this dude rolls. He says, I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to show off the vast wealth of my kingdom and the splendor and glory of my majesty, and we're going, to, we're going to have this killer party. Then there's an after party. I don't know how he pulls this one off, but after 180 days of partying, he says, well, let's do another week of this. So look at verse 5. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days. And the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who are in the citadel of Susa. So he's throwing an after party now. Now this is impressive, right? If you've been a part of any wedding planning in, in let's say the the last decade, if you've thought through what does it look like to secure a venue, to get decorations, to feed people who barely make the cut, uh, I, How expensive is that? I mean, it it breaks the bank. It puts people in tremendous debt. But this dude had the resources to do a party for half a year for whoever wanted to show up and then turn around and do seven more days of it. This is wild. So when we're reading this story, the the narrator is trying to draw our attention to how significant this dude is. This guy is impressive. In fact, it goes on to describe the decor, the, the furnishings, the decorations which is very expensive having recently, you know, just finished, not even done yet. There's still stuff like there's holes in our floor here and doors that have masking on them because we're still painting them. But, but one of the features of doing a remodel that's really expensive is the, the, the decor. And so fixtures and furnishings and all that stuff. I mean, the, the author here is going, look at this. Look at how this guy rolls. Look at the details of the garden palace. Uh, our architect showed up this week. Uh, and they, they were thoroughly impressed because they saw the building before and they saw how much work you guys have done. They do not only design build stuff, but they also do interior design stuff. So for an additional fee, we could have said, hey, what do you guys think about you know, all the color schemes and the furnishings and all of that? And we, we said, no, we'll, we'll figure it out. We've got some people who are gifted in that way. Well, they showed up and they were like, wow, look what you guys have done. Where did you get? They started, the interior designers like, where did you get this? where did you get this? I need to tell our other people about that. But here we see the decor in verse six. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of a word I can't even pronounce. Marble, mother of pearl and other costly stones. It's saying, this is impressive. This is ornate. This is beautiful. This is wild. Even the things that they're drinking out of are unique. Look at verse 7. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. When we go buy drinkware, we buy them in a set because it's cheap. This dude gets individualized glasses for every participant in his party. That's the kind of thing that we're dealing with here. They're drinking with incredible liberality. He even issues a decree. He says, look, here's how you ought to drink in my kingdom. Verse eight, by the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Now, he's throwing this after party, but meanwhile, meanwhile, there's another party that's going on as well, but it's just a footnote because we don't get any details about it. We just find out it's happening. It's the girls' event in verse 9. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So while he is gathering all these people together, look at how impressive I am. Look at the, the majesty of my kingdom, my glory, my majesty, the vast amount of wealth that I have. Queen Vashti, meanwhile,